0: Buddy, hold us into the backboard. What is it? Fifteen feet. Fifteen feet. Step, put Ollie on your shoulders. This uh, from the rim, buddy. How far? Ten feet. Ten feet. I think you'll find it's exact same measurements as our gym back in Hickory. <laughs> okay, let's get dressed for practice. You know what that coach is doing? He is giving hope to an underdog. With intentionality and creativity, he is giving hope to a decided underdog. That's from the movie, if you haven't seen it, that's a clip from the movie, The Hoosiers. It's based on a true story back in 1954 in Indiana. They had a single-class basketball tournament. 751 teams entered that tournament. Uh, the team that won were the Milan Indians. They had 161 students in their entire school, and they defeated every team in their, in their state. Uh, the largest teams in the state were defeated by this little school of 161 uh, that put forward their team. And their coach actually did this. He was a young coach. He was about 26 years old. Brought his team into this huge auditorium uh, at Butler University. And he realized that their entire town would fit in one small section of the bleachers. So he had to measure the rim. Just to show him it was just like home. Just, just to give uh, the underdog hope. When the odds seem against you. Hope if possible, is even more essential. And uh, we're, we're not accustomed uh, in our land of thinking of uh, Christianity as an underdog kind of faith. That is our history. And as history ebbs and flows, that may well be our near future. Um, it, is, it is not our ultimate future, but it may well be our near one. So what we want to do uh, today... Is look in our study of Matthew at Matthew chapter 13 and get a tall, cool glass of refreshing hope from a couple, three of the parables of Jesus. Again, we're in Matthew chapter 13. We'll start in verse 24. I'd like to pray for us as we do that. God, all of us at times feel a bit overwhelmed. By the things that tug and pull and press against our faith, we pray for grace and mercy today that we might persevere. Though the odds might seem against us at points in time, we pray for the strengthening of our faith by the very words of Jesus today as he teaches us by the Spirit. So come and do this, Father. We need it. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Um, I want to... I'm going to take this section we're going to look at today a bit out of order. I'm going to start midstream in our passage. It it returns to what Greg taught us about last week, why Jesus taught in parables. In verse 34, Jesus says, All these things, it says, All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Jesus is teaching by parables as a means of aligning his life and ministry with the the prophesied Messiah, the one who was to come as God's great king. It's one more matching credential that served to bolster his disciples' faith. He could point at his teaching and he could point back to the prophets and say, See, I'm the one. But as we saw last week, um, teaching these parables takes two courses with two different audiences. It has two different effects. The first thing that parables did in Jesus' teaching ministry is that they cloaked the truth. They hid it. Um, Last week, Greg taught us a few verses back in our passage the disciples came to Jesus and said to him, Why do you speak to them, to the crowds, in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And as you read the context of our passage, this is at least in part Jesus' response to their extreme rejection of him. When he talks about this generation of people, this collection of people that he's um, speaking to, these are people who have said just just a page or two back in your Bible, this is what they and their leaders were saying about Jesus. The Pharisees, they went out and conspired against Jesus about how to destroy him. Their leaders are plotting to kill Jesus at this point in time. And the Pharisees, when they heard about Jesus casting out demons, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Um, so it's as though... They had gone too far in their opposition and rejection of Jesus. And now the door has swung closed. The invitation is now rescinded. And Jesus is actually barring the door from their entry into the kingdom by the use of parables. That's a terrifying thought. That there comes a tipping point in unbelief. when the door door swings closed. But Jesus is clear. The parables serve to cloak the truth from those who have ultimately rejected him. But there's a second purpose to the parables. It comes out in our passage today. It says, Jesus says, I spoke in parables to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter parables. What has been hidden since the foundation of the world. So the second purpose of Jesus' parables to a different collection of people is to reveal truth. To one group, it's to cloak truth. To another, it's to reveal truth. Same teaching accomplishes both purposes. And we saw this again last week where Jesus said, Blessed are your eyes. He's talking to the disciples who believe. Blessed are your eyes, for they see And your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. They had this tremendous privilege of hearing and seeing Jesus teach. And he's not just referring there that they had auditory senses and they had visual senses, but that they... Heard and they saw and they believed. When he says, Let those who have ears to hear hear, it's an invitation to believe. And so today, if you have ears to hear, Jesus is teaching you, he's going to reveal truth to you through three parables. And what I think he wants to do is give us hope in the face of overwhelming odds. At least it can feel that way from time to time. So let's look at the first couple of parables, and we're going to back up a couple of verses to verses 31 through 33. Jesus put another parable before them, saying, "...the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants. It becomes a tree." so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And he told him another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. And These two parables are, are bumped up right against each other because they have a common, common theme. Both the seed and the leaven grow from small beginnings to a great scope in the end. That's what these parables are teaching us about the kingdom. That mustard seed, it's tiny. Um, people who figure these things out say that it takes 750 mustard seeds to weigh a gram. Okay? That's tiny if your metric system is rusty. That's really, really tiny. Okay? Um, yet, it's going to grow to become the largest of garden plants such that birds can make nests in its branches. Leaven, too, is small, but it it permeates the entire batch of dough. No small batch of dough. Um, 50 pounds or so of flour. Some have suggested that it's enough, it's going to make enough bread for a banquet of 150 people. And this little bit of leaven is going to permeate it all. This is, this is a great reversal. Yeast is typically represents evil in the Bible. Not always, but typically. Here Jesus turns it on its head, and a little bit of yeast representing good is going to overthrow evil. It's going to overrule it. The prevailing influence of good in the kingdom is that leaven. And those birds that are in the branches, they are, if you looked at Ezekiel and Daniel... Uh, those birds in that tree often represent the nations coming to shelter in, in Israel, in God's people. So that the, the imagery here is that of the kingdom spreading out to affect all nations, all peoples, every tribe, tongue, and language, we're, we're told. But that's not how it starts. Okay? It starts with just a little tiny seed starts with just a little bit, handful of leaven. And that's how it is with the kingdom. That's how the kingdom works. Um, just think about it. It started with one man and 12 highly unlikely followers. It's not what people expected when they thought the Messiah was coming. It would be a lowly carpenter from an obscure village with a bunch of ragtag fishermen and tax collectors following him. And then, of course, there would come the cross, which made the seat even smaller. There's an ancient Christian writer. His name is Jerome. He said, the preaching of the gospel is the least of all the teachings. At first glance, there seems to be no real truth in this teaching that proclaims a dead Christ and the scandal of the cross. Compare these teachings with the systems of the philosophers and, the, and the, their books and the splendor of their eloquence and their fine style, and you'll see how much smaller the seed of the sower of the gospel is than all other seeds. Joseph Stalin famously put it. How many divisions does the pope have? Answer, none. None. We're part of a kingdom that has no army. Few in number. No great wealth. Jesus had no place to lay our heads. That's how it started. That's how the kingdom started. A little mustard seed. A little bit of leaven. And it seems to me this is still the modus operandi of the kingdom to this day. So you may be finding yourself the only believer where you work. You may be finding yourself the only believer in your family. You might be one of precious few in your neighborhood or in your school. Jesus says, no worries. You're the mustard seed. You're the leaven. That's why you're there. Okay? You're bearing the hope of the gospel to those people. Don't give up hope. The end, Jesus says, is going to be very different than that small beginning. One day... The leaven will permeate the loaf, and there's going to be a great banquet feast. One day, the tiniest of seeds is going to grow into what's been called a world tree, with people from every tribe, tongue, and language sheltering in it. So you're there for a reason. You're in your family for a reason. You're where you work for a reason. Don't look first to get out of a hostile environment. Look to influence a hostile environment environment you're there for a reason the kingdom that you're a part of that you're an ambassador for will prevail through you where you work where you live where you're sent Dale Bruner says where are all the ancient faiths philosophies and forces that once vexed the church where are the Epicureans the Stoics the Gnostics the mystery religions the Roman army itself where are they He says, there was no Academy of Plato on the long Asian highway where I lived in the Philippines, but there were many churches. The church, he says, I love this statement, the church is an anvil that has worn out many hammers. The church is an anvil that has worn out many hammers. Sex and ideologies almost always seem stronger than the church. Sex and ideologies fly. The church limps. But sex, he says, and ideologies die, and the church limps on. Stick with the church, he says. So don't give up where you work, in your neighborhood, in your family, at your school. You are the tiny mustard seed. You are the little bit of leaven that's going to permeate the loaf. God intends to use you there. Now, we, as you already picked up on this morning, we as a church family, God has sovereignly placed to be a springboard to the nations. People come to us, they get tooled up here, and then, boing, they go off all over the place. And uh, they, they eavesdrop on our services. Um, through the wonders of the internet all around the world—they eavesdrop, and I want to talk to them. I want to talk to those of you that call North Wake home, whether you are in India or China or Kenya or Bosnia or Rome or Papua New Guinea or Turkey or Haiti or Romania or Thailand or DC or Tampa, and we could add Rollsville, or North Raleigh. There are more, but we have we have people in every one of those places. Those of you who are living there, you are the little seed. You are the leaven. Your work will not be in vain. Jesus has foretold it. Now, those of you who are here at North Wake, these people that we send overseas to live in difficult places... They're not Superman. Okay. They're regular folk. This is not like some kind of super seed, okay. some kind of weird genetic thing. They're regular folk. God has called, and they lose sight of what we're talking about. It's your job to remind them. Okay. When was the last time you contacted one of our missionaries and encouraged them? Been too long? It's not hard. You you can send them an email. They all have email. A lot of them are on Facebook. But they lose sight of this. You know, last year we had the privilege of visiting uh, some of our folk in China. Um, These people travel out to villages where they are meeting people have never heard the name of Jesus. And it's not easy to get there, and it's not easy to communicate, and it's not easy to, to work things out there, but they are there. Um, and it's discouraging to them. They can't speak the language right. And then when they get out there, they find out they speak a different dialect, or they find out that the village has moved. This is the latest report. They went out to find some people, and they weren't there anymore. And they get discouraged and they wonder if it's worth it. Or they live in the great cities, throughout Asia especially, where people have never heard the story. They've never heard the story of Jesus. It's our job to encourage them, to tell them, be encouraged, don't give up hope. The leaven will yield a banquet one day. The seed will grow into a tree for the nations. Jesus has promised it. Grant Osborne says, Who would ever have thought that one-third of the population of Korea would be Christian? Or that in spite of, actually he says, because of terrible persecution by the communist government, there would be a hundred million Christians in China today. The same phenomenal growth is occurring in places in Latin America and Africa. We must recognize that God is still in control. Even though evil will increase, the kingdom will continue to grow in each succeeding generation until the eschaton. Now, in our day, you can feel that same discouragement here. Sometimes you can feel, um, you can feel like the cultural milieu is shifting Values are changing. Um, sexual mores have radically changed and they show no sign of, of slowing. Just a couple years ago at my alma mater in the Midwest, not far from Indiana, where the ball team won, the University of Illinois, um, a Catholic adjunct professor who was a Catholic priest got fired basically for endorsing the Roman Catholic view on homosexuality. He was later reinstated over protest, but increasingly, you know, values are shifting away from that which the Scripture graciously and kindly brings to us. It can seem at times like this that we're making no difference, that we might end up on the losing side, that it's not worth it that those who oppose our faith are, will prevail, that we should just give up. And Jesus says, no, no, you're the little seed. Okay? That's why you're here. You're the leaven for the banquet. Don't be discouraged. Don't give up hope. Be faithful. Love those neighbors well. The kingdom, though small, will one day be the largest tree in the garden Jesus has promised He's going to do it through you, right where you are, right where he's calling you to. There's a third parable I want, to, I want us to work our way through this morning. And uh, it starts in verse 24. Again, I'm kind of jumping around in this. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plant came up and bore grain, then the weeds also appeared. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? He said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first, and bind them in bundles to be burned, and gather the wheat into my barn. Now, mercifully, like the parable last week, this is one that Jesus tells us what it means. And Jesus does a really good job, so let me read that to you. He left the crowds, went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. Some of you know this is the parable of the tares. Jesus answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom." The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels. They will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So it begins with the disciples coming to Jesus and asking for insight. The disciples were not smarter than anybody else. They just believed and sought spiritual insight from Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the sower. And I sow throughout the world. The field is the world, and I'm sowing seed. And you're that seed. Okay? Jesus says, the seed, the good seed, are the sons of the kingdom, the daughters of the kingdom, the people who believe. And Jesus says, He has sown you throughout the world. Okay? But the weeds, they're the sons of, of the evil one and scholars believe that there's a particular weed in view here and that it's toxic it's poisonous and it's sown in amongst the wheat in a way that's undiscernible at first only later does it show what it truly is and that weed represents those who are in opposition to the gospel it represents those who disbelieve Jesus The enemy, of course, is the devil. And you get a sense from this parable that Jesus really believed in a spiritual world that is unseen, that's actively going on around us. We're playing an active part in a real battle that's going on. That there is a devil who exists. Jesus believed it and taught it to us. There are, as we'll see, angels who participate in the judgment that is to come. But these two sides, you've got the good seed and the weeds. They're not drawn up. We used to have this game. It was like one of my favorite games as a kid. I don't know if any of you ever, ever saw it. It's called POW, the, ca- the cannon game. You can tell, you can tell by the, uh, it's dated a little bit. It says cannon game for boys. Yeah. <laughs> Girls, step away from the table. Okay? It's a man's game. And you, and you would line up your little, uh, all the blue guys were on this side and all the red guys were on this side, and you lobbed a marble by these cannons back and forth, tried to knock them over. Great game. Destruction rampant. But the thing I want you to think about um, is, in this game, whoa, let me back that up. Uh-oh, wait a minute, pow just went away. If you guys could find that, that'd be really helpful, but if not, it's not essential. Um, On that game, it's clearly divided. All the red guys... On one side, all the blue guys on the other. Not this battle, Jesus says. Um, Not this one at all. They are intertwined indiscernibly at first. They grow together in the field that is the world um, before it becomes later on obvious that they are weeds. So they are growing in our schools, in our communities in our churches teaching that is toxic and contrary to Jesus. And It says there's no action taken to sort it out until the end. Why is that? The story says it's for the good of the wheat. It's to protect the wheat. There's something about the delay in removing evil from our world that's for our good. Jesus doesn't say what it is. But that it's best for us. It's part of Jesus' protection of us. You know, when we when you develop your theodicy, your explanation of why evil remains in the world, if there's a good God, Jesus is giving you some answers here. Not all the answers, but one is that he's allowing it to remain for our good. And this closing verses. Verse 40 to 43, the Son of Man is going to send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. Everyone, the idea there is anyone who scandalizes people, anyone who causes them to stumble, anyone who defies Jesus' law. And then they're going to throw them Into a fiery furnace. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, But the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Um, So you have vivid images of judgment, of coming judgment. Jesus believed and taught there's a coming judgment. Um, And there are again two tracks, two tracks that are going to happen at that judgment. One is. Weeping and gnashing of teeth, great suffering for many. Um, To those who are causes of sin, to those who cause others to stumble, to lawbreakers, to those who do evil, who break God's laws. um, Suffering and sorrow waits for them, Jesus says. But judgment also brings reward. And he draws on imagery from the book of Daniel that means we will, we will share Christ's glory in some mysteriously luminous way for all eternity. The story says um, they'll be burned, but we'll be gathered into the master's barn, a good place. See, when evil is present among us, if it's in our government, if it's in our schools, if it's even makes its way into our churches, Jesus says, don't give up hope. Okay? Jesus is promising a day when all wrongs will be judged and all rights will be rewarded. Don't give up hope. If you are facing evil, where you work, in your community, even from, from your family, from, from religious folk, Jesus says, don't give up hope. I know about this. My plan is to let it be for a season. And there will come a day when all evil will be judged. And all the righteous will be rewarded. So when the odds seem against us, when everyone seems to be sliding in the opposite direction, when evil seems to be prevailing, when it's among us and next to us, Jesus says, don't give up hope. Don't give in to discouragement. The kingdom, though small, will prevail. And there will come a day when evil will be judged and righteousness rewarded. Stay the course, Jesus says. Be faithful. Don't give up hope. The little seed is going to become a great tree. The leaven, it's going it's to permeate the entire loaf in spite of evil. Evil is permitted By God's great authority now, but one day, it will be judged. This is the teaching of Jesus to strengthen and sustain His church. So what I'd like to do, is the work team going to come now and lead us in our closing song? Um, We want to uh, have a chance to pray for those of you who feel like uh, you're discouraged. You're in a hard place. People around you are not supporting you in your faith. Um, That you are right up against, right next to influences that are evil and dark and hard and oppose the gospel and make it hard for you to follow Christ. So what I'm going to ask Daniel to do is, uh, after the first verse, we can take a break. I'm going to invite you to come down then. I'll step back up. And we're going to have prayer for you collectively, those of you who are just in a hard place and need to be strengthened and encouraged today. So if you'll stand, we'll declare our faith in Christ together, and we'll pray for you in just a minute after this first stanza.